Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down with Mr. Ed Ma. Ed's the Senior Strategy Advisor, Energy and Climate Change Policy at Suncor. Ed is a passionate individual. He's been at Suncor for over 10 years. A born and bred Calgarian, one of the rare few. Ed shares us his perspective on Western Canada, what's happening from an, an economic side. He talks about the oil and gas industry and the deep levels of innovation and transformation that have been happening there for much longer than the last five years in the downturn. We talk about the way forward. We talk about renewables. We talk about the truth behind electric vehicles. We talk about what it means for not only Calgary, but Canada to embrace a lower carbon footprint as we move towards a future of a balanced energy consumption and how all players need to be at the table. Join me for a great, another great conversation on collisions with my good friend, Ed Ma. Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm here with my guest this morning and a good friend of mine, Mr. Ed Ma. Good morning, Ed. Hi, good morning, Tyler. How are, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, under the circumstances, uh, I'm healthy and yes. uh, my family's healthy. And so uh, that's a lot to uh, be... Um, uh, a lot to be uh, said. Yes, and I think you know, like, you know, during these times, it really, it really quickly identifies where, what, what, what's a priority and what's not a priority. You know, in our world, yeah. we can get very distracted by all the noise and things that are going on. When it comes to something like this, very quickly, like, hey, family, am I good? Is my family good? Now, is my team good? And you know, kind of work your way out through there. I, I do like how it kind of forces an instant prioritization. <laughs> That's so true. Well said. Uh, Ed, you and I have known each other for a while, and you have an interesting role that I think is going to bring a cool perspective to the show today. You're Senior Strategy Advisor, Energy and Climate Change Policy at Suncor. Yep. How long, and uh, how long, have, I know you've been at Suncor for a while, but how long have you been in this specific role? About um, seven years. Oh, interesting. Okay, so quite, so yeah. how, long, how long have you been at Suncor? About over, just about 10 years now. A little oh, over 10 years. Yeah. Started out as a senior corporate counsel uh, working in the oil sands legal affairs team. Okay, interesting. So you've seen yeah. you've seen lots of changes. And are you? Am I correct? You're a born and bred Calgarian, is that right? Yes, I'm native, proud and proud, very proud. That, Calgarian. That, that's awesome. There's, there's the odd <laughs> view that we get on the show. I like to I like to call it out for sure. So and wow, I'm married to one too. Married to oh, so you, oh, you you guys are rolling it all in. Okay, excellent. That's right. Um, 20 years at Suncor, obviously, uh, sorry, 10 years yeah. at Suncor, 10 years in Calgary. If you think of the last, even the last five years or the last three weeks, uh, I can't imagine the amount of things you've seen in terms of the evolution of the oil and gas space. We're going to talk broader e- economy, but just even the last 10 years, what's that been in terms of being like, obviously working with a major company like Suncor involved through all these twists and turns. So like, what's the last 10 years been like even working in the oil and gas industry? Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm super, uh, lucky and I feel very fortunate to work for Suncor. I mean, if there was one company, oil and gas related to be working for through up the ups and downs, it's uh, Suncor from my perspective and I'm very fortunate for that. Um, you know, being a born and bred Calgarian, uh, what I know about Cal- Calgary or Alberta's um, uh, oil and gas business is very resilient. Um, we, if, you, if, you, if you're born here and or you're in the, and you work in the oil patch, uh, you know about the uh, booms and bust cycles. This is yes. another. This can be interpreted as another cycle. Although the COVID, COVID piece is a really interesting piece to me. I think yeah, it's hard not to talk about anything these days without that backdrop being very very real. And you know, I love how you know the black swan concept has become like a. I think it was like certain people talked about black swan. It became almost around the dinner table now. When we've got the black swan of the pandemic, we've got the black swan of a global oil crisis that's happened in the last month. All things lining up at the same time. And you know, poor Calgary, we've been back on our heels a little bit for the last you know five four to five years, and it feels like we got another one two punch from the outside. Yeah, these are things outside of our control for sure. It's no, it definitely is. But as resilient Calgarians, we're we're going to do our best to move forward. So, talking about the show, uh, the theme of the show today is economic transformation in Calgary. So, I like to start with that because it's a really easy thing to say. It's maybe sometimes a harder thing to define. So, from your perspective, when you think of economic transformation in the light of kind of what's been thrust, what what's been thrust upon us from the outside, what's can you give us a snapshot of just even your view of the economic transformation that was either already well in, entrenched in Calgary over the last five years, and then kind of where you see it evolving based on the new uh, COVID-19 situation. 
right? And the economic transformation in Calgary has been going on for a long time, I would I would say. And um, in, in the oil patch, um, the, that's a sector that I've come to realize has never stopped to continue to innovate and do re research and look for better ways to improve and do things safer, uh, more responsibly, using less energy and having uh, a lower impact on our shared environment. Um, and in the last five years, there's been a lot of different technologies that have continued to be um, evolved and tested to in, in an effort to bring them to commercialization, uh, some of which are um, related to energy efficiency. Others are uh, different ways of extracting um, bitumen from, from the oil sand sector. And so there's a, a continuous uh, evolution around innovation, and it's really um, ingrained in the culture of, of the sector. I think it's so easy not to realize that. I think I'm going to be bold when I say this. I think the sector, one thing the sector has done a poor job of is telling that story. <laughs> I think unless you're involved in it and you see it every day, it doesn't always make it out to the to the masses. I, I hear that a lot, Tyler, and, and, and you're right. I mean, I don't disagree with that. I think though the 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 one piece is that it's it's uh, it's sometimes it's not as sexy talking about technology in the oil sand sector, right? And so uh, instead there's, there's other things that people uh, uh, would gravitate to. And so um, I, I could say that we do tell our story um, and um, we, we, uh, when we will continue to do that, there's many different things that, um, that, that we, many different channels that we, we uh, share these innovations through one of them is through the Canadian Oil Sands Innovation Alliance or COSIA. Um, that that was a group that was uh, established um, uh, pretty much when I joined Suncor. Okay. And uh, this was a really interesting group. This was uh, around at the time around uh, 12 or 13 companies uh, coming together and saying, look, uh, let's focus on what are the things that are most important to the environment and, and, if, and, and what technologies do we have? And if we have technologies that are, um, uh, can help the environment, then let's share them and pull them together. And so it was a bit of a crowdsourcing uh, way to bring all these things that we were independently working on together to see if we can leverage them. And, and it's, we've seen a lot of great, great things come out of that. And, and in fact, that kind of collaboration was, was the first of its kind in the world. Interesting. And that was 10 years, and that was 10 years ago. Almost 10 years ago. I would say about eight years ago. Did that, did the economic, did the, the drop in oil prices, did, because there has, again, I'm putting, I'm putting some assumptions out there that I hear floating around. I'm very fortunate. My wife works in oil and gas, so I get to see behind the curtain a lot, and mo a lot of my friends do, obviously. But has anything changed? Like there was 10 years ago, then there was roughly about five years ago, obviously, we had a significant drop in the price of oil, where it felt like all of a sudden now companies got a little bit more serious about efficiency, or it felt that way. Or is that a little bit of a misnomer that that was already kind of going on? Hey, we're making so much money. Let's not even bother. I think that's a kind of an ignorant way to look at it. But I've heard it floating around. Has the last has it shifted, or did it change, or did you see a, a movement even five years ago when we had that significant price drop? No, absolutely, without a doubt, there's there's been a shift, and with that price drop, it was a, a great opportunity um, to look at how how companies could tighten their belts and and find greater efficiencies, and and uh, you you see that you see that in uh, uh, different companies. Um, uh, cost of production, all of all of those costs right. came down right across the board, and so uh, um, you know, never never waste a good crisis, right? You you find <laughs> you find app, you find opportunities to really look at how you can um, do things better, and and you look in and uh, drive deeper into what what you think you can do to improve your performance. It's amazing, like necessity, the mother of all invention. When when you have no choice but to look at things differently, you do. But when things are coasting along, as leaders, there's stuff that gets left. Like, well, I'll just leave that. It's it's quote unquote fine. But when you go through a significant, you know, change economically, or you know what we're going through right now, everything, every stone gets unturned. Which I think that's the positive side of some of these these ex, you know external factors that come in and get us and get us across the chin with that left hook we didn't see coming, <laughs> or maybe even if we did, we didn't take it seriously until you get hit by it. Yeah, and there's a lot of amazing leaders across the city, as you know. And, and in times like this, when you have a whole bunch of things that are uh, that are impacting you from the outside, uh, what you can control are things from the inside, and you hone it, you hone in on that, and you figure out what where your optimization op, uh, capabilities are. 
Uh, yes, it's never, never. I love the never waste a good crisis, or never waste, a, never waste a good downturn. So when you think about overall economic transformation at at a, at a city level, and yes, sure, we talk about Calgary, but we're we're not in an island or in a bubble. We're talking about Alberta. We're talking about Western Canada, and you know, I've heard it said often that we're you know we're price takers. We're not price. We don't dictate the price of oil. So when you think about economic transformation here and everything that the oil and gas sector is doing, but then you look at the realities of what currently is happening between Russia and the Saudis, which, uh, quote unquote, no fault of our own or no doing of our own, yet we're, we're impacted by that. I guess, what are your thoughts for the industry going forward as we see more and more events like that that are just like, literally, you feel like a victim sometimes. You sit there and you're like, really, guys? Is this really what I'm going to have to deal with now? Because you decided to rattle your sabers. Any thoughts on that and how we respond as a city going forward? That's a big question. I do recognize that as I'm throwing it out at you. Yeah. Any, any thoughts yeah. around that for the future? Look, I'm, I'm no economist, so I'm going to stay away from um, gazing smart, into- they, Smart, smart. Step aside from balls. that question. <laughs> but uh, what, what I will say is that um, uh, Calgarians and uh, and Albertans um, that are affected by this, we've this isn't the first oil price war that we've seen, and uh, we took it in the chin, and we'll take we take this one in the chin, and, and we'll recover. We're very very resilient, if nothing else. So when you specifically yourself looking at the, I know you're not an economist, but I know I I know you well enough to know you're a guy who looks into the future often. Uh, very deliberately, I would say. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? How do you see the sector evolving? Because we're going to get into like kind of what this, what the city or what Western Canada or what Alberta is doing well to move ourselves forward. And then we're going to do. We're also going to ask what we're not doing well. So when you look to the future, I guess what are we doing to set us up on the right track? And then maybe what, anywhere we're getting in our own way that you see from your perspective. So yeah, so the things that we're doing well in terms of transformation, I, I think that the, there's a lot of amazing potential. Um, Calgary Economic Development, you know, shout out to them. They've done a, a, an amazing job at continuing to bring uh, innovative uh, technology companies to Calgary uh, and and work within our own technology hub to understand what are the opportunities to collide with different industries. And we're, we're seeing those collisions happen. Um, there's a lot of uh, great collaboration in, in the oil and gas sector with our tech sector. And, and it's a natural collision, even though uh, those technology companies may not have started out that way. Uh, but but, okay. but what happens is that uh, uh, what we're learning is that the oil and gas companies um, uh, can make use a lot of a lot of the technologies like the drone, the drone technologies, uh, rather than, than us sending out surveyors to do things uh, more ma- on a more manual basis. So we're working with these companies and, and these collisions are unlikely collisions, right? We're even having seeing collisions with, um, with the, the defense companies um, on, in making use of some of their technology, uh, putting that, it down hole in, in, into the ground and understanding what, how, does it, how does it react to bitumen. And so these are really exciting developments and these are industries that would otherwise never have come together. And I think what's really amazing is that in terms of what's what's bringing these collisions together is that the oil and gas industry are the ones that continue to invest in technology and innovation and and having a tech technology background coming from from uh, pure play technology in my earlier career um, when you're working in a startup world uh, and and you're every every dollar counts and you're you're trying to raise money etc but in the oil and gas world Everything we touch is in the millions of dollars, and so uh, it, it's it's the 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 scale of of kind of how we look at things blows sometimes blows people's minds on the other side when they're on the tech side, and it's I like appreciate oh, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're like seriously, you're like that's like our Series A, like what you just spent would be our whole Series A round of financing, <laughs> and so um, so that it, it makes for great collaborations when they can come together. Are you seeing more of that? I've always, I'm a huge advocate of, you've got these large enterprise organizations that sometimes are very ingrained in their cultures and sometimes change and getting new thinking is easy to talk about on a slide deck, but it's sometimes hard to do. Are you seeing companies like yours and other companies in the, uh, in, in Calgary or in the oil and gas sector going out and really opening the kimono and bringing in some of these smaller disruptor, innovative, non-traditional partners? Is that a movement that's, I feel like it's picking up speed, but again, it depends who you talk to sometimes. Well, I, I think you're, there's definitely, um, that's happening for sure. It's happening from um, a bunch of different companies. Not everybody is in the same position. Different size company will have different priorities. And so at Suncor, we're very fortunate. We, we definitely uh, uh, play, we look out, uh, up and out, and we play the long game. I think anybody in the mining industry, I'd like to say, if you're in the mining business, you have to play the long game. 
that mine is going to be there for a long time. Your asset's going to be there for a long time. And so we're in it um, to, to, um, to be here for the long haul and uh, to thrive and prosper uh, for our, our province and our country throughout that time. I appreciate the the concept of taking the longer vision. It's so easy, especially like let's talk about even the realities of right now. You know, I you know, I heard basically the other day that one week of COVID crisis is equivalent to a quarter in normal business terms of how many decisions you need to make and how many things can change. So you know, you, taking the long game right now, I think is 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 takes a lot of discipline. But you're right, especially when we're not clear. It almost feels like a year is more clear than three months is right now. That's a strange kind of phenomenon we're living in. Yes. Yeah, I have to. I have to ask because it's it's in your title, and I think it's it's an interesting paradigm because sometimes they don't always go together. Or, sorry, the media doesn't like to put them together. Energy and climate change policy. So, in your role, I guess curious of your perspective of of you know, and again, how much you want to share with what Suncor is, but just your overall views. Where do those two bedfellows play together? We're talking about the industry, industry and climate change, and oftentimes the media portrays them as as adversaries and foes. Like they, it's been set up that way, which I don't think tells the whole story. So curious in a role like you're in, that must be a constant conversation that you're getting to have. Yeah, absolutely. It's and I think it. Let me go take a couple steps back. What what you should know about me is is that um, uh, prior to joining Suncor, I worked for uh, Canada's largest pure play renewable energy company, and and uh, I chose to go to the oil and gas side of the business uh, out of a, a position of curiosity, a genuine genuinely wanting to learn more about whether the oil and gas industry is this big bad dirty oil and gas industry that media has it out to be, and. Um, when I interviewed, even I, I said to my VP of legal at the time, said, you, one, there's one thing you need to know about me before you hire me. I intend to be an instrument of change from within. And so you don't need to hire me unless you, you know, but I want you to know that. And he I, I, pre- me, I appreciate the, the full disclosure but <laughs> process. That you're and he I, might drive, I might drive you nuts, but here's what we're going to do together. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. So full disclosure, and and he looked at me, you know, with uh, across the table and said, "We need more people like you," and that's how I knew this was a, a different company. And um, so what I can say is, working as a strategy advisor in energy and climate change policy, and having a a, a, a legal mindset, um, it's all about asking the tough questions. And um, I have this thing on on my um, uh, pinned to my uh, uh, office uh, wall. Uh, it's about how to be a social entrepreneur. And mm. the first rule of how to be a social entrepreneur is coming to work every day willing to be fired. And so that's, that's a powerful statement to itself, especially these <laughs> days, even more so. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, what I would say is that um, uh, I ask these tough questions a lot all the time. And the response is, um, is very well in, in terms of the reciprocation is, Genuine curiosity as well. This is tell me more. What do you mean? And so this is it, it's amazing company that way. And so we we really lean into these issues. And um, currently, uh, our our purpose, Suncor's purpose, is to provide trusted energy that enhances people's lives while caring for each other and the earth. That's a very unique purpose statement when I look at it compared to others. And this is something that we're really exploring now ourselves. And what does it mean? And this purpose statement gives me actually a lot of, uh, a lot of leeway to say, Hey, well, what do we mean by that? Right. So when yes, I ask questions absolutely. like how, how are what we doing kind of, um, uh, consistent with the goals of the Paris climate agreement, those are some very deep seated questions that we constantly ask ourselves. So, yeah, that's and, you know, and questions yeah. that can be very polarizing depending on who's around the table. Like questions, but if you've got a culture that's open to curiosity and it has set the bar at that level with a purpose like that, that's a that does. Uh, I, I appreciate getting a little window behind the scenes because an outsider, you don't always know what goes around uh, goes on around the corporate table. Yeah. So when you think about Western Canada in general, uh, I'm going to take it beyond Calgary because I think our conversation is bigger than that. For, without without question, uh, we threw that we threw the, the the walls down right away. What, what, what are we not, where are we getting in our way? What are we not, what can we do better? I don't want to be negative and say, what are we doing wrong? And if there's anything that you really want to call out, let's do it. This show is not about being politically correct. It's about being honest and, and actually creating change through conversation. What, where, where are we getting in our own way? Where are we tripping ourselves up? Where, where can you, where would you see the biggest needs for change that would make some impact short term and long? Uh, for, do you mean from a Calgary perspective or just in general? I, I think, I, 
yes, Calgary for sure. I think that you know our conversation has immediately gone a little bit bigger than that. So from a Calgary perspective, municipally, where, what you think, but also speaking to the industry, because obviously you have a perspective that's broader than Calgary with the role that, that you do and global, if not uh, Western Canada. So both, what do you think we're, what, what, where are we getting in our way Calgary base? And then even provincially and from an industry perspective, anything that you see that are really just, those are some things we need to, we need to change that or it's going to keep tripping us up. Yeah, I would say, you know, um, whether it's Calgary or, or more uh, broad and macro focus, I think that the um, uh, having an honest dialogue uh, around energy and climate change is, a, is a, an absolute necessity. And, you know, we, we just need to look back to the last fall election where um, arguably two thirds of Canadians voted for stronger climate action. And I think what doesn't help is when we have um, a very passionate um, uh, group of Calgarians and Albertans that uh, you know want to be uh, drive drive home the importance of of energy, but talking past each other. I think uh, you know working. Uh, I've, I've had a great fortune in my past career to work with uh, some of our First Nations people, and w- one of the things that I've learned is is it's so important for people to tell their story, and <laughs> and when and, and, and in telling that story it's even more important that after they've told it, that they get a sense that you've listened and that you've learned and that you've heard. And so it's, it's really important that you, you understand, you, you seek to understand before providing a response. And I think that uh, if, if more, if more of us do that, we, we will have a, a much more informed and an engaged dialogue. And I think that's a, a, a huge, a key piece that every Calgarian, every Albertan can embrace is seek to understand uh, because if the people that are speaking to us and uh, saying, "Hey, we need to shut down fossil fuels, we need to, you know, move to a, this, you know, accelerate the energy transition," let's have a conversation about why. We know all of our talking points, but we really need to listen and understand. Okay, what's driving that? What what is it behind that that statement that 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 gives them this this grief or this this sense of of, of urgency? I think what you said is so powerful. Like, sure, we all have our talking points, but having a good discussion isn't necessarily about talking points if you're actually just waiting for your turn to speak. <laughs> yes. And, and it's so easy to get into. And let's be honest, these are polarizing. I have always made the joke, you can argue with facts, but be careful when you start arguing with beliefs because then people start to get, it starts to get really, t- and I think this can be a very polarizing. So curious, you touched on a little bit, like the world of renewables and the transformation to different energy sources. And, you know, I've had speakers on that talked about like, hey, we need all the energy. It's about energy is the conversation. It's not about this or that. So from your perspective, how do you look at that in terms of how the world is moving to more of a diverse uh, access to energy sources? Is it just going to be a natural process? Or what's your perspective on that? And now we're getting into crystal balls and a little bit of philosophy, but we're moving to different sources of energy to supply our needs overall. Is that going to come fast, slow? Is it going to continue on a pace? Is it reaching maturity from your mind? You know, you're now getting to my passion area, right, around renewables. Excellent. I can see you smirking on the the videos. Now I know we're getting into it. (laughs) That's right. Look, um, uh, in terms of alternative technologies, they've they've come a long ways in terms of evolving, um, becoming more efficient, less cost. Uh, We've seen that huge strides being made in the solar solar industry and as well in the wind industry. And so I think that uh, those technologies are definitely here to stay. Some of the challenges with those technologies is really um, the reliability. And so um, the, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And so we, 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 will need uh, to have continue to have reliable sources of energy like fossil fuel energy. So one thing that I've learned working in the oil and gas industry is that the, it, that fossil fuels are, are is very energy dense and and it's very reliable because we've invested for decades in our infrastructure to make sure that it's reliable so so that when Calgarians come home at night and they turn on a light that's miraculously that energy is there and that when we don't have the rolling brownouts or blackouts and so that's uh, that's that has to do with the robustness of our broader energy system. So what you've heard around, we need all forms of energy. I think is very very true. Um, as as we look at uh, integrating um, renewables and other forms of energy, constantly, even with renewable energy, are we using the energy? in the most responsible way any whether it's renewable or not it's really i think the number one question is is are we being responsible with the energy that's been created 
Uh, versus, let's be honest, when I flick that light, I know it's amazing and I know it's an incredible luxury, but I do also take it for granted. Like let's be, and I pull up to the pump that there's, it's going to work and it's all there or, you know, or I plug my car in. Like I know you do. You, you, there is a, there, you know, we do live in a bit and it's hard as humans. You, you qu- very quickly just adapt to whatever the situation is. And, you know, I think even recently having some of our freedoms, and I say that in a positive way, have been taken away to respond to this COVID. You, you, your priorities and what you take for granted and what you value changes really, really quickly. And in energy, we've been pretty fortunate from a North American perspective. We don't like the rest of the world has challenges that we luckily don't have. Yeah, because we're very, of our and, infrastructure. Yeah, and as Albertans and Calgarians particularly, we're very fortunate when we use electricity. It's among the cheapest in the Canada, and and a large part of that is um, due to our the way our electricity system is set up. And and I would argue um, that uh, oil sands, which uses a lot of cogeneration electricity, is actually helping to dr- keep prices in check, or at least uh, drive sometimes driving the price down even in certain times of the day. So cogeneration, for those who don't know what it is, it's it's um, um, a, a generating power and heat using uh, one molecule of natural gas. So in in industrial systems where we need heat energy, generally your options are to um, bring in energy from the grid, which is either natural gas, coal based. Or, and then your heat energy would use uh, another molecule of natural gas to run boilers. And in this case, you, you use one, one molecule of natural gas to create both the electricity and the heat for the, uh, for, for the industri- industrial use. So that's the equivalent of you going into your refrigerator in the morning and saying, you know, I think I'm going to have butter and toast today. And normally what you would do is you would take it out of the fridge, you'd put the butter in the microwave, and then stick the toast in the toaster. Now, what if you just put the plate of butter on top of the toaster as you as you're um, toasting your toast? That's cogeneration in your own home. So that's what we're doing in the oil sand sector. That is the best metaphor for cogeneration I've ever heard. Because <laughs> I'm picturing you now with your toast and the whole thing going on. <laughs> but but again, it's it's finding a more because right you say well yeah that's more efficient than these two steps that both require inputs. Let's just do one step to get the to get the output and then have the benefit. Again, for most of us, that's just something we take for granted. We don't even know is 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 going on. So from an Alberta or Western Canada perspective, and I know this is a, I'm really putting you on the spot here. Are we doing everything that we can around the renewable side? Like the, you see pockets of it, you hear conversations. Being that we are an oil and gas fossil, you know, fossil fuels based uh, province, or that's been our history, but there's a lot of companies I hear out there. Are you seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of work being done in the alternative and renewable sectors in Alberta? Absolutely. Alberta, in fact, in, uh, is one of the only provinces right now that's doing anything around renewables, I would say, um, partly because we have um, uh, an energy only market. Energy only market is a purely market driven um, um, gen- gen- power generation. So it's a merchant power generation market, whereas uh, the rest of Canada, with the exception of Ontario, it's all owned by corporate monopoly utilities. And so it's really hard to do renewable power as a private a, a private power generator going into British Columbia or uh, other other parts of Canada like uh, Quebec to generate renewable power because you're basically negotiating with the energy czar there that will decide whether or not they want to have generation competition. So that's why we see um, a lot of renewable power generation in Alberta, but also Alberta is very well situated for uh, renewables because we actually have a, the most sun uh, out of uh, out of anywhere in in our, in our nation, and so it's very uh, conducive for solar. And we have amazing uh, uh, regions within Alberta that have ox- awesome uh, wind regimes. That's very well suited for um, so, uh, uh, wind power. I was talking to I was talking to Todd Hirsch a couple of weeks ago. I had him on the show, and he he you know he kind of put out his moonshot, and he mentioned geothermal, and only because he goes, we've got such experience with being able to deal with that type of technology and doing things. X amount of thousands of meters below ground. He kind of just threw it out there. He goes, ah, you know, I think this is something to think about. So it's interesting just like taking the, what are we really good at over here and how could that affect other places? So it was just an interesting comment he made in passing that I hadn't even kind of, hadn't crossed my radar before. Well, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, Todd's right. I mean, if there's one thing that Albertans know how to do, it's drill. We know dirt. (laughs) And, and, and that, and and that, that know-how is actually really, um, uh, uh, 
will, I think, will also really help us in that lower carbon energy future in terms of carbon capture and sequestration. We know dirt, we know rock, we know how to, we know what kind of formations can uh, contain pressures and and uh, and where you know how best to handle that stuff. And so um, that's something that I think has another real viable uh, pathway for Alberta to contribute its know-how to the world. Capitalizing on what we're already good at and always looking at those adjacent, like, well, this is right alongside, but we could you know, apply as much because we have so many skilled, highly educated individuals here in a very specific area. There's always overlap, but again, we all get our blinders on. You don't, you don't, always, you don't always see it. So from that perspective, to, to feed off that question a little bit, when you think about Alberta going forward, is there, is there any sectors or is there any adjacency that, you know, I've heard that, well, you know, we have so much data here, we need to focus on that and how we manage that and which leads to AI and ML. And I've heard that, um, hey, we've got all this technology about dirt and ground, so let's focus on geothermal. Is there any industries that you see or in your mind would be kind of, you know, I don't want to say no brainers, but would be a very aligned with some of the skills that we have here that might be part of our mix going forward as we, as we evolve? Uh, it's, so we just touched on one, which is the carbon capture hmm. sequestration technology. I think certainly um, the the energy efficiencies that uh, the oil and gas sector is finding uh, can be shared. Th- things like cogeneration. There's a lot of industries that have heat, industrial heat needs, and and one thing that we've um, spent a lot of time on is how to um, create energy in a reliable way, uh, because and this is on-site and power generation because uh, you may not have uh, the most reliable grid. And, and when facilities shut down, it's not like just you and I turning off our lights. It doesn't cost us anything. But when facilities shut down, uh, you have a lot of things that you have to do before you can turn back on again. And every day that you're shut down, it could cost you tens of millions, uh, but it also costs you tens of millions to ramp back up. Um, so so you, you need to have that reliability, and that's something that I think the oil and gas sector has done really well, in particularly in the oil sands. And uh, there's opportunities to collaborate and share our know-how on on what it means to even partner with a uh, with somebody that's coming that's offering to to uh, create uh, your cogeneration unit and run your cogeneration unit for you. Um, are, are, would, would they run it in uh, consistent with with uh, your expectations of, of your power uh, heat and power needs, uh, or is or is it potentially opposing? We've learned a lot over the years in terms of of, of um, how best to run on-site power in the most efficient form that that also has a ghg reduction contribution and so there there are opportunities there there are other opportunities around uh, looking at biofuel sources to power some power some of these assets and so um yeah so um we continue to have these discussions we've been um a part of a um uh industrial research chair with the university of alberta looking at a lot of different pathways on uh how, how we can do things more efficiently using alternative fuel sources to do different things and so um there's been a lot of great research and we continue to do some of that work and that research right now is actually also being used to inform policy so there's a lot of great work that continues to be done here in alberta in terms of uh how we can bring some of our learnings um across across canada and and uh, potentially contribute in other ways that's it's great to hear. And well, that's the whole point of the show is giving people a little bit of a view behind the curtain of things that are going on that don't always make it into the media or when you hear about it, it's a footnote versus the actual depth and amount of energy and time and resources that companies are are committing to this transformation. So if you and you you live in this world, so it's 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 maybe a, if you were going to take two sectors that maybe you see that aren't contributing, that aren't talking right now, that you're like, hey, you know what? I bet this group could learn a lot from this group and vice versa. Is there anyone that you would, any groups are like broad and they don't even have to be local. It could be on an international stage. Is there anywhere we should create some more collisions that might result in some more of these learnings from your perspective? You know, none, none that really comes to mind, but um, uh, there there is a, a lot of... Um, uh, so Suncor's, uh, Suncor has a Suncor 4.0, which is really kind of the fourth chapter of, of the Suncor evolution, and, and that is to uh, harness our technology um, and, and really use, uh, uh, embrace uh, innovation and computers and AI to help us uncover some of our um, efficiencies and, and where else we can 
further work to optimize. And so I'm really excited by that as a technology guy. My my thing is, and the angst that I have is that in the technology world, one year is a dog year, and uh, the and and in the in in the oil and gas business, we we're, we're moving very fast. Uh, uh, I think that we can always move, try to move faster, and, and it's and and that's and and that's not easy to do for for some companies. And so uh, we're we're working at pace as fast as we can, and we we're fully our CEO fully embraces um, technology, and he actually has a computer science background. So so I'm I'm very, very he's he's, not, he's got some baked in biases. <laughs> Is there anything, and I've had some guests share it, I'm just curious as we're driving in here, uh, the, the technology world survives on fail, learn, fail, learn, fail, learn. Uh, you know, they're always trying things, always innovating, where I've heard sometimes, and I've heard this from guests, and maybe it's not true, so you can correct me if I'm going out on a tangent here, that sometimes in the oil and gas sector, there's so much risk aversion that those two worlds, because of like culturally just oppose each other on the like, Hey, we're going to try. We might, we might get it wrong, but that's okay. That's how we learn where I've heard in the more industrialized oil and gas, where there's sometimes is more risk. There's more capital involved, uh, that nobody wants to fail and learn. They just want to be successful right out of the gate, which maybe can hold back innovation. Is that, I don't know. Is that, is that, is that a, is that a rumor I heard? Or do you, do you see any examples of that maybe out there? Maybe not with Suncor, but in other companies you do. You know, I, I disagree with that, and, and um, okay, I, I would say that I'm certainly there's probably pockets of that, but I would disagree with um, the risk aversion. I think that uh, quite the contrary, that if there is one thing that um, Calgarians and Albertans uh, do well is uh, take risks and learn. Uh, we well, look. I mean, I, I always think that you know, taking oil out of sand. Uh, I, you know that's the best example. Like, uh, like how how much riskier can you get? And and we've 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 learned so much from that, and and, and it's become one of our biggest uh, uh, resources in in Canada. You know, one of the largest um, uh, resources globally for for oil. And so, um, we fail fast and learn. I think that's something that I, I think people are doing more of. And in in uh, Certainly within the oil sands, there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of risk being taken, but they're, they're calculated risks. We're very comfortable with risk. I think we have a, a different approach to risk. We and, and our approach is we've got a lot of brilliant people that work for these companies, these, the engineers, the geophysicists. We all converge and collide and bring that, that skill set together to figure out how to de-risk. And so we may have a higher, I think, risk tolerance than, than other sectors because we're able to bring different disciplines together to de-risk projects that other people may still see as, as higher risk. Whereas we know we ah, don't. That's an interesting perspective. Get the smart people around the table and work and work through the scenarios. And you know, it's not that you guys are risk adverse. You're leaning into the risk with the right intelligence and the right thinking to to create the success. That's a good perspective. I heard that a few times from people, and it felt very a bit limiting. And it kind of felt like a reason or an excuse. And I was like, ah, there's got to be that can't be a universal truth. It was just you know, obviously you 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 understand the part of the elephant you're looking at when you happen to open your eyes. So you go, oh, I've seen this, so that's what I think it is. It's great to hear that that's not how you guys approach it, or certainly not the reality that you get to see. So Ed, to, to string along from our conversation around diversification, and you think about where the economy is headed, both locally and even even nationally, uh, as we diversify around a lower carbon footprint, and as we change our energy and our energy consumption, the way we consume changes, and how that affects the economy as a correlation. Curious your perspectives on that. You know, it, it it's something I think about a lot, and and the transition will take time, and. Uh, as we as we kind of envision the the future of the of Canada that we all want to see ourselves living in, uh, our government um, is suggesting that we need to electrify many of the things that we do because we can hopefully use more renewable electricity, uh, and and Canada is currently blessed with eighty percent renewable electricity, of which sixty percent of that is hydro. But what's it really interesting in that discussion is that. What a lot of Canadians don't know is that hydro isn't actually necessarily green. There's actually a lot of emissions that come from hydro, and that's from the impoundment of of the dam. So, so if Tyler, I know you love your wife, and and, and <laughs> I do I dearly, you, I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know you've sent her flowers and you've given her flowers, and we've all we've all done that. <laughs> and we've all what we've also done is we've left those flowers sitting in a pot for a long time of water. And, and we know what that does, and that stinks, and, and it's rotting and decaying. Well, underneath a dam, you have 
organic matter like trees and shrubs and everything else that got flooded and particularly the older dams there's there's emissions that comes out of that and that's not necessarily well understood and so as we think about that lower carbon energy future what does that mean you know when we think when our government's talking about net zero by 2050 um but that means zero emissions by 2050 so there's a lot of work to be done to unpack all of that stuff and i think that we have to think about that but I also think about um, my family um, potentially being the, the the Canadian that that our our country is looking to to drive people towards. So we've made we've had the very fortunate uh, ability to make uh, uh, choices of building a green home back in 2009. Uh, we've chosen very sustainable and renewable materials. Uh, we've made it a very energy efficiency, energy efficient home using insulated concrete forms. We have um, uh, employed both forms of solar in our home. One is uh, photovoltaic, which is uh, used to generate power so it offsets our power consumption. The other is our solar thermal uh, collectors, which uh, provides our home with domestic hot water and heat. So we're literally harnessing this amazing uh, uh, reactor in the sky called the sun to give us our energy uh, in different parts. And uh, on top of that, we own um, uh, several electric vehicles. and. When I think about the the low carbon energy future, I I, I worry at the moment, um, um, and this is kind of goes back to the diversification comment about about um, where where Canada will be, and we're largely a large largely, and I think for the foreseeable future, will remain an extractive resource extractive economy, um, and so we need to definitely continue to. Do extract and use those resources responsibly. But what I've learned from my own um, uh, uh, experience is this, when we chose to purchase both the solar systems, 65% of those dollars after I wrote the check immediately went to a Chinese company. And I created jobs they were two days worth of work to install each of the systems. And when I made the investment to purchase my first electric vehicle, 95% of those dollars went to a US company. I created a job for two and a half hours in an electrician's time to set up my um, electric vehicle charging station. And when I bought our second and third electric vehicle, it, I didn't even create a job, right? And so, uh, so we, we really need to think about what it means to uh, uh, um, uh, embrace this low carbon energy future and, and how do we ensure and maintain that um, all Canadians will, will remain prosperous and have very good jobs in that, in that process. And I think that's, that's a challenge that we all need to think, think about, uh, that there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, you know, how can we play in, in, in that space to provide some of the raw materials that go into these these technologies or how can we manufacture some of that here currently a lot of our manufacturing particularly in the auto sector has moved to mexico and in other parts of the world because we're we're, we're not as competitive for the moment but so how, how can we kind of turn those things around in our ontario manufacturing sector so that we maintain a lot of those types of uh uh jobs in canada and how can we harness our natural resources to play in that space I think you and I had the conversation about, you know, the, the Wayne Gretzky of, you know, playing to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. And talking about, you can extrapolate this down the road and you're, what you said is where the puck is headed. What do we do to make sure we're there to intercept it and not have it essentially the money flow out of the country like it is now a little bit for what is going to be the way of the future of a lower, lower carbon, especially as Canada takes a stand federally from a governmental perspective, say, we're going to do this. Okay, well now it makes me a bit nervous. What are we going to do to be part of that versus just, uh, you know, it, it's going to leave us kind of energy neutral, but without the industries that we need to contribute and play in that space? That's an interesting dilemma of who's thinking about that and are we actually doing the work now, putting in those foundations literally to make sure we're able to be part of that, not just be the end recipient of it. That's interesting perspective. Yeah. You know, another way I look at energy right now is that in the future, there's going to be a lot of batteries everywhere. Uh, 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 the, the raw materials that goes in that battery potentially will be the um, energy security of the future. And so it's, 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 it's in your ability to um, perhaps produce it or at least recycle and reuse it.
and that's and that's something that I think will be an opportunity for any country to to think about in the long game. Yeah, and what are we doing to think about? You know, I know we're thinking about how we're going to change and reduce, but what are we doing to add the right things to the mix down the road? And I think that's a different side of that conversation. It's a little. It sounds a lot more now often of like what we're going to stop doing and what we're going to take away. But what are we going to start doing to be able to respond to the reciprocation of okay, the changes happen here, so therefore energy consumption isn't going away. So how do we then become part of all of those different alternatives? That's an interesting, I, I, I think that's an interesting challenge to, to pose and what that looks like for the future. Still yet to be written, I think. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think just, just one add to electric vehicles, but, and just because I have the mic and I can. And <laughs> you you I, do, I, and I know, I know you're passionate about, about electric vehicles. Yeah, um, uh, so I, whenever I talk to an Alberta about electric vehicles, I often get the, but you're, you know, the footprint of your electric vehicle is actually um, horrible. And, and I just want to kind of take the opportunity to, to dispel that myth because I think the viewers that are listening to this, uh, people that are listening to this podcast might be thinking that when I mentioned the electric vehicle, this guy's really nasty because he has three, not one, <laughs> but three electric vehicles. And uh, so what I what what I, I would say is that electric vehicles arguably are some of the most sustainable vehicles on on the planet, and and mainly because um, they're nothing but a uh, um, an iPad with four wheels and an electric motor, and and when at the end of life of an electric vehicle. Um, it's it's not any different than the end of life and the battery of your TV remote. You don't throw away the TV remote when your battery dies. And so arguably the the these cars are uh, much more sustainable because when you replace the battery, it's like literally dropping in a whole new transmission and a motor at the same time. These electric motors last forever. And so, and the batteries, what's interesting, um, I, I, I had the great fortune of, uh, of going to the uh, Tesla Gigafactory uh, for their grand opening and tour. And, and my tour guide was the guy that was responsible for their battery recycling program. And I asked oh, him the question, how, how much of your batteries um, can you recycle and put back into new batteries? And their answer was 96%. And so, um, so what's that's that's really interesting to me because not only um after a battery is done uh, in an electric vehicle it has a second life application it's good for another 15 years to 20 years to be repurposed into stationary battery storage such as like the power wall that you've seen in my garage yes i have <laughs> and 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 so so you have you have this battery that goes in an electric vehicle that can be driven for hundreds of thousands of kilometers. And after that's no good for the electric vehicle's use, that battery can be repurposed into a stationary storage for another 15 to 20 years. And then after that, they can recycle it uh, and get and put it back 96% of it back into production of new batteries. But that's over, you're talking like a, over a 30 year period of time before it even gets to the end of that cycle or 50, to at least 25 or 30 and all the different industries that pop up to support each step in that cycle, the way you talk right. about it. Right. Yeah. And, and I can tell you that like on, on our one car, we have 160,000 kilometers on it and it drives like it did the first day. There's no lag, there's nothing. And so I, I fully expect that this car will last me for up to like four or 500,000 kilometers. And so that's just, it's, it's hard to compare. Uh, and a and a typical a traditional uh, combustion engine car, it might you if you know depending on the brand, you might get your three or four hundred thousand. But I guarantee it does not feel like it does not drive the way it did the first day that you got it. That's for sure. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. And I think you're right. It's always easy, you know, where, where we have a little bit of lack of knowledge and sometimes we get, we don't know. So we kind of attack an idea. So I appreciate the soapbox and uh, taking the moment to share, <laughs> to think about, you know, what I really love is, you know, I'm thinking, I'm watching this battery move through its life and all of the different jobs and, and different businesses and different lines that support that battery through its life cycle. That's what gets exciting to me back to your original conversation about what are we going to do to support this, this one energy source now, or this one, this one unit is now going to move through so many different hands, but so many different levels of usefulness in its lifespan. Yes, absolutely. Versus parked in the corner of a junkyard and gradually disintegrating into the ground, which sometimes happens with 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 normal vehicles. Ed, I appreciate I appreciate your perspective on on that one. It certainly adds to the thought of like, hey, let's extrapolate this out far enough and think about all the secondary and tertiary benefits of what happens around the the journey to more of a of a carbon neutral footprint. Yeah. 
from a perspective of individuals listening to the show, they're looking to learn, they want to you know, get involved with different communities, different organizations. You mentioned COSIA and some of the great work they're doing. You mentioned, you mentioned Calgary Economic Development. Is there any groups in Alberta, whether it's technology, oil and gas, renewables, that you would call out as people that should have some, that people should know about? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, yeah, you're putting me on the spot. There's a... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Ed. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a group that's uh, headed up by... Um, it's what is it called? Um, you know, I'll, I'll have to I have to get back to you on that. But what, okay, one, no, 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 problem. I totally put you on the spot. I recognize yeah, that. Yeah, the, the the one group that I'm thinking about is is uh, something around. Um, um, it's like clean clean technology for environmental professionals. I can't remember the exact name of the group, okay. but okay. Um, but, if it, we, but if we Google that, we'll get in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think it's it, that's certainly something I've experienced through the journey of of doing this show and talking to people is how many things there are out there from CDL to platform to startup. Like, there's so many things going on that if you want to get involved, quote unquote, no matter what that is, Calgary has so many things on the go, which I think that is that the big small town thing we've got going for us. Like it is, it is a pretty tight knit community when you peel back, like not even any layers. It's just, it's right there and everybody tends to know everybody. And there's a real advantage to that because man, you can open doors pretty quick here. I think that's a real strength that Calgary has. Calgary is one degree of separation for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. There's always a willingness to have a chat. Like, sure, I'll sit down or have a coffee. And I think there's something about that that you know, growing up in Montreal, spending a lot of time in Toronto, there's a little bit more of a layer. But Calgary, I don't know. I do believe it's a little bit more open that way, and there is a little bit more of that pioneer sharing. And I've had guests on that have said, "Yeah, we need to do more of that." I still think we do it better than a lot of other places in Canada. Certainly, that I've lived. That's my personal. That's my that's my armchair observation on that one. That's my experience as well. I mean, I've 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 called up people that uh, I think then some would say um, wouldn't wouldn't have thought they would have given you their time. But I I, I would I have always approached it. You never know unless you ask. Yes. The What's the worst you can hear is, is no. Is an answer exactly. <laughs> Because at the end of the day, it's just another human at the end of the whatever email or phone. And if you ask for them for their help, their opinion, a time to meet, it's often, it's rare that people will just shut you down. I just don't find that that's how it goes in Calgary, Yeah. which right, right there, that sets us up for an opportunity to grow and evolve together. Absolutely. Ed, thanks so much for your perspective today. And, and I think shedding a light on a, a little bit just a little bit of a different perspective, a little bit different lens for me of the things that are going on, specifically at Suncor. It's great to hear, you know, you speak so highly of the organization. You've been there for 10 years, so that kind of speaks for itself. But to hear the work that they're doing and the way that they're innovating and looking to the future and playing the infinite game, not the finite games, which was kind of what I had to quote a little Simon Sinek thing right now. But I love that long term and, you know, come up and out and look way forward and how important that is for any size of organization. But it's, uh, it's easy not to do that when you get caught up in the trenches. Yes. What's the best way if uh, someone wants to get a hold of you? Is it to email you? Can they go find you on LinkedIn? What's the, because I'm sure some people are inspired and want to reach out. Yeah, sure. That, I mean, definitely uh, LinkedIn uh, works very well. And uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of time, screen time these days sitting at home. And so uh, do, do definitely feel free to get in touch with me. And I'm always open to having a coffee, virtual coffee these days or a conversation yeah. nonetheless. And thanks so much for your candor today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks very much for having me on your show. It's great. Keep doing, keep up the great work. Thank you. My pleasure. Will do. 